Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hi, this is Dr. Fred. I want to thank you so much for joining me. And um, we're going to talk about something related to the last article. And in that article, I introduced the subject of spiritual formation its definition, basically what it entailed. And I'd like to expand that whole thing in this article. Spiritual formation is really another name for mysticism, normally entered into by the practitioner doing certain disciplines or exercises to gain more of God. So in other words, it is a root form of works, not to gain salvation, but to allegedly maintain and perfect it for the Christian, something that only God does within us, Hebrews 12.2. Now, the bottom line is that the spiritual formation whole situation at its root caters to self. The process associated with spiritual formation is something that constantly reminds the practitioner to look inward, to compare and determine growth, and and it creates within actions that are based mainly on how a person feels about each situation. Now, I believe this is why there has been a proliferation of movements like racial reconciliation, social justice, or what we would call wokeness within Christendom, some of which on their face appear religious, even Christian, therefore things Christ would definitely approve. Increasingly, what entails wokeness, though, has infected the church, tending to destroy it from within, very much like a Trojan horse. Spiritual formation wants us to use our emotions as barometers of spirituality or the primary means of determining not only if we're going down the right path and making the correct decisions, but how deep our relationship with God has become. Jesus never did that. Paul did not do that. In fact, when people in the Bible did make decisions based on their feelings, it often got them in trouble. Here's just one example. First Kings 13. In that situation, we read of a young man. He's just simply called a young man or young prophet whom God called to give a specific message. And part of the responsibilities laid on that young man, that young prophet, was to do the following after he gave the word of the Lord to Jeroboam, verse 9, he was not to eat bread, he wasn't to drink any water, and he was not to return home the same way that he had gone to the king. He was supposed to just go there, give the message, leave quickly, returning home a different way. So the young prophet did all that God had commissioned him to do. Yet he met an unscrupulous older prophet that told the young prophet he should come home to eat with him. Now, the young prophet protested, but the older unscrupulous prophet overruled him by saying that he too was a prophet and this is what God had told him. Of course, he was lying, but the young prophet didn't know that. So the young prophet went home and ate with the older prophet. And then God really did speak through the older prophet to tell the young prophet he would be killed that day for his disobedience. Now, I don't want to get into why God used the unscrupulous lying prophet to speak to this younger prophet, but the fact remains, we must ask, 
why the young prophet disobeyed God in the end when he started out so well. Well, it was because he heard the older prophet's words, which were lies, and he judged those words by how he felt about them instead of consistently going back to God's own words on the subject. You see the difference? Of course you do. In other words, God had said, look, when you're done giving this information to Jeroboam, here's what you do. That's what God had said. Made it very clear. But it cost him, the young prophet, his life because he caved into his feelings and he paid a terrible price consequence for it. He died. Spiritual formation like New Age teachings, relies heavily on how a person feels about something and what is quote-unquote right for one person might not be for another. You ever heard that with people who are in the New Age? For me, this is what I need to do. For you, it may be something different. But it's all based on feelings, which makes spiritual formation grounded in mysticism. Now consider some of these quotes from well-known people within the spiritual formation movement. Here's one today. I personally believe that while Jesus came to open the door to God's house, all human beings can walk through that door, whether they know about Jesus or not. Today, I see it as my call to help every person claim his or her own way to God. Henry Nguyen in Sabbatical Journey, page 51. Another quote, if a church is good at making disciples, it will be good at making leaders because in the end, a good spiritual formation plan will lead to an accelerated spiritual multiplication. Gary Rohrmeyer, next steps for leading a missional church. And you'll hear that, that word missional often used within the realm of spiritual formation. Another quote from Dallas Willard, spiritual formation for the Christian basically refers to the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. And then just a fourth one for now, spiritual formation is a process, but it is also a journey through which we open our hearts to a deeper connection with God. We are not bystanders in our spiritual lives. We are active participants with God who is ever inviting us into relationship with him. And that's from Renovaire. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Richard Foster's group. Well, the quotes above may sound good to many. They certainly sound deep, right? Intellectual, spiritual, but they're really open to the interpretation of the hearer. In fact, the more nuanced the quote, the more mysterious and therefore better for many people because it sounds intellectual. It is rejected only when people are able to see the actual message within the quote. What, what they're actually trying to say. And this is a huge key here. Spiritual formation tends to focus on concepts and ideas that certainly seem to base themselves in Scripture and are outwardly loving. So what could be possibly wrong? But spiritual formation dutifully avoids, for instance, calling sin, sin, and any condemnation of sinful behavior or judgment that God himself will pour out on those who reject him and on this world, they avoid those things. They don't emphasize. They don't go back to scripture for those things. They kind of circle around it. When I went to seminary, and this was way back in the 80s, one professor referred to sin as brokenness. Wow. 
brokenness. Sin is brokenness. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound soft? Doesn't it sound like something we didn't intend to do? That's not it. That's not what sin is. Sin is the transgression or breaking of God's law. While it creates brokenness because we break fellowship with God when that happens or other people, that's not the main point. Sin breaks God's law, period. And there needs to be consequences for that. It is no different than someone breaking the law by speeding, by stealing something. They're breaking the law. That doesn't create brokenness. They're breaking the law. Spiritual formation obfuscates the truth with questions and then lies, actually redirecting people away from God to a reliance on self. That's what Henry Nguyen was doing. So consider his quote that I just mentioned above, the very first one. And he said this in part, quote, all human beings can walk through that door, whether they know about Jesus or not, unquote. Well, uh, let's look at this. Well, yes, human beings, all of them can walk through the door of salvation, but in order to do so, they must receive the salvation that is available through Jesus Christ and no one else. And you can't do that if you do not know about Jesus Christ, what he lived, what he suffered, how he died, and the fact that he rose again. So the unbiblical part of what Nguyen said is that they can come whether they know about Jesus or not, which is 100% incorrect. Ultimately, Nguyen's false statement is based entirely in New Age tenets. That's exactly where that comes from. This has been part and parcel of the New Age since its inception and goes back to the mystery religion of Babel, Genesis 11 with Nimrod. Jesus said very clearly, quote, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, the Son, John 14, 6. The New Age argues, well, that's not really what Jesus meant. They say we need to dig much deeper to uncover the actual meaning. No, 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 no. Jesus spoke plainly. And people wanted him dead during his day when they heard him because of his claims. They did not misunderstand him. They knew exactly what he was trying to say. Only in 2023 do people go, that's not really what Jesus meant. So let's not jump to conclusions. You know, if people will take the time to read many of the books, or even a few of the books about, for instance, the Pleiadians, a, an alien race. Many people believe these, these alien races exist and have transmitted messages to us. Read, for instance, the book Seth Speaks, or books by Barbara Marciniak, who is a luminary within the New Age. If they read those books, they will see clearly how demons masquerading as quote-unquote ascended masters have channeled their messages, their lies, to humans for decades in modern times. Lies mixed with truths makes them all lies. The key significant difference between biblical Christianity and spiritual formation has to do with the Bible teaching sanctification in spiritual formation teaching the journey. Oh, doesn't that sound great? Where are you going today? I'm going to continue my journey in spiritual formation. I'm going to get to know God better. Well, we call that sanctification. 
Now, of sanctification, the Apostle Peter notes this. Listen to this. This is from 2 Peter 1, 2-4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, for His divine power has granted to us, what? Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Through these, what these? What, what are we talking about? These. It goes back to everything He's given us pertaining to life and godliness. Those. Through these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust, unquote. So we can escape the divine, uh, the uh, corruption that is in the world because we are partakers of the divine nature already because, and that's not saying we're God, it simply says we have access to God and his promises, and everything he's given us pertaining to life and godliness, so we can become conformed to his image, which is done by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So, because the Holy Spirit lives within the Christian at the moment salvation is received, we already have everything we need for sanctification, which is the process by which we are transformed into the character of Jesus. Again, Hebrews 12.2, Christ starts it, and then works on it, and then finally completes it. It's God, all God. He gets the job done. We don't need to enter a journey. We're already on that journey, if you will. It's called sanctification, and Jesus guides it, processes it, gets us from A to B. We don't need a labyrinth or any other discipline to establish that. Our job as Christians is submission to his will at every turn, just as Jesus consistently did throughout his life, Luke twenty two forty two. Remember when he said uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if, Father, if you will, remove this, yet not my will, but yours be done. That's submission. That is our job, to do things that we don't necessarily want to do, that we don't feel we're strong enough to do, but we turn it over to him and we say, I'm willing to do this. I am willing to do this because that's your will. Give me the strength to do it. That's where the young prophet failed. That is our responsibility. And it is not something we do once and done. It is an ongoing way of life for the Christian. The more we know and understand his word, the more we can submit to him because of it. And that is how we cooperate with God in sanctification. Call that the journey if you want, but understand that it is really sanctification overseen by God in the life of each Christian. He makes us, he molds us, he recreates us, he conforms us, he finishes us. Like, you know, you look at men like Andrew Murray, A.W. Tozer, who were by and large, unfortunately, Christian mystics of their day. And what we see today is a world of Christendom which has become inundated with Christian mystics and, unfortunately, even atheists who stress the experiential relationship with God. I say atheists because they could well be New Age proponents masquerading as Christian pastors and ministers and leaders. Some of them tend to be so ethereal and nuanced that it's really difficult to distill their words down to clarify what it is they're actually saying. Jesus was not like that. Nor was John the Baptist, Paul, and others. What they believed, they expressed clearly so people could understand. And none of it was based in feelings. 
All of it was based in truth and fact. So the more I study spiritual formation, the more I'm forced to conclude it is the root of so many problems within Christendom today. We lionize people like Tim Keller, who was recently deceased because of how intellectual, mysterious, loving, and seemingly magnanimous their teachings are. And for that, they're highly esteemed and sought after as speakers and authors. And in the end, they cater to people who have itching ears. Second Timothy 4, 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Desires is another way of saying the way they feel. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, etc., etc. So these people surround themselves with teachers who tell them what they want to hear, what makes their, them feel good, what makes their feelings enlarge. So if I can distill this down to a quick summary of spiritual formation, I believe spiritual formation is a form of new ageism loosely wrapped in biblical phrases and ideas, using as its basis biblical concepts, but not all of the truth of Scripture. The essence of New Age teaching caters to self because it was created by Satan. And that's exactly what he did from the beginning, even when he fell. But then in Genesis 3, he catered to Eve's self and her feelings and got her to fall. This is why it has given rise, I think, to things like racial reconciliation and social justice, which on the surface appear Christian and good. Well, New Age teaches that all are one and God is in all, ultimately meaning that we are all gods. The term namaste in America has come to mean the God in me bows to the God in you and is clearly New Age teaching. Now, that's not the actual meaning of namaste, but has come to mean that in some circles, especially within America. Because God is in all, as taught in the New Age, people should endeavor to treat others as though they are gods. Racial reconciliation and social justice, which I'll go into in a future article, turn the focus on alleged inequities that many to most white people, for instance, living today have never had a hand in perpetrating. Social justice is loosely based on the miracles Jesus performed in feeding thousands and healing them. The difficulty or the problem is that he did that as a testament to who he was and is. God. Very God. We're not God, but we should certainly help people. And I'm not saying that we should not help people. We need to. But we need to help the people in Christendom first. We'll get into that. Proponents of spiritual formation reinvent or reimagine God in God's word. They twist the truth. Who else do we know who has done this since Genesis 3, as I previously mentioned? I don't see spiritual formation in Scripture. I see where people might be confused into thinking it's in Scripture, but it's really not there. New Age isn't there either. Buddhism isn't there either. In fact, there are many areas of Scripture that absolutely diametrically oppose spiritual formation. Be careful who you lionize and hold in high esteem. And thank you so much for joining me. If you like this video, pass it around, would you? If you like this um, teaching, pass it around. Let others know about it. There's probably somebody that you know that can benefit from this. But in the meantime, until we meet again, I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in Him. 
You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 